Hey everyone, welcome to Recovering You. This is a podcast that will take you through a step-by-step guide of what you can expect when you enter into a world of recovery from addictive and compulsive behaviors. You are here to learn how to change, and we are here to give you the tools to get there. You know I'm going to put that in the tag. (laughs) The outro music. (laughs) Okay. Welcome back to part two of the mentor panel discussion. Guys, once again, I'm joined by all the same gentlemen from last week, and we're just going to keep this ball rolling. I I did want to ask, though, uh, there was so much awesome advice and so many cool things that were said last week. And... Was, was there anything that kind of stuck out to, to any of you that you just want to kind of reemphasize? One of the things that really stuck out to me when Seth was talking about his experiences um, and having his story be shared and now he's open with people and having them know, um, he said that God knows me, my wife knows me, and I know me. And that that gave him a level of security to not be worried about what other people feel or think. And when he said that, I had to go to another room and find a notebook to write that down. Um, (laughs) And just because I want that, like I've wanted that for a very long time um, to just be filled with the fear of God versus the fear of man. Um, But just so commonly, um, worried what other people think about me um, even though I am obviously more secure and that I can be on a podcast talking about this you know right um, okay. but there's still those elements too that so I'm grateful for Seth's example and sharing that, that it, it hit me and that yeah that is I think it takes a very long time and a lot of practice to get to that point where you're like look I, I only care what what God thinks and what my wife thinks, <laughs> but, but most of all, uh, I, I understand who God is. I understand who I am and I'm, I'm just going to be comfortable in that. And I'm not ever going to be ashamed of who I am. Um, yeah, it, it takes a while to get there. And I don't know if any of us are perfect in it, but I know each of us is striving toward that. And there's, there's a lot of confidence without pride in this, uh, zoom room right now. So, and I and think I, that's actually uh, a perfect segue. Oh, sorry, Seth. What, what's I up? was going to say, and I definitely am not perfect at it, but I have become far more, far less worried about it. And there, there's still those days. <laughs> well, I'm going to call, I'm going to call uh, bull crap on that one. We're, we all know that you're perfect on that. We, we, we've had enough discussions with you. You're the man, Seth. <laughs> Um, but that, like I was saying, that, that is a really good segue into this first question that we're going to approach this time. So what are some of the most common misconceptions that you feel like people have surrounding addiction and how do we combat these misconceptions and communicate more effectively to just kind of bring that awareness and that, that um, those issues to light? Dallin. Oh, I definitely thought this question was a little different and <laughs> I thought it was, what are some misconceptions about mentors? So that was my, uh, Oh, was no, my d- dude, let's, let's, let's answer. roll with that. No, I like, I love that. Take that. Okay. Roll, roll and it. it's, 
it's something that's been um, alluded to already in what we've discussed, but um, it's something that I've run into a number of times in asking guys if they're interested in becoming a mentor. Um, and it's this unspoken idea that there is a destination that you need to reach in order to qualify to be a mentor. Mm. Like there's this certain place you have to be in your own journey to be qualified to be a mentor. Um, and one thing that Maurice Harker, the, the owner and, and founder of Life Changing Services, he talks about and he, he emphasized to us in our, our recent mentor retreat was that what qualifies us is that we are inadequate, right? What, what makes us good at, at being mentors is that we do struggle, that we do um, have trials and that we are still on this path and this journey. I wanted to share this quick quote from Elder Holland um, from October 2017, where he's talking about the priest that's preaching, but is imperfect and how people are criticizing him. And he says, look at my life now and compare it to my former life. You will see that I am trying to live out the truth I proclaim. Unable to live up to the high ideals he taught, the priest admits or the mentor admits that he has failed, but he cries, attack me if you wish. I do this of myself, but don't attack the path I follow. If I know the way home, but I'm walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way simply because I am staggering from side to side? Do not gleefully shout, look at him. There he is crawling into a bog. Do not gloat, but give your help to anyone trying to walk the road back to God. And to me, that is like my mantra for mentorship Dude. is, man, I, I am walking this path drunkenly, but it is still the path. Um, and I will encourage anyone who feels they are inadequate that to remember that that's what makes you qualified to be a mentor. And so if you've been thinking, you know, maybe I could be a mentor to someone else, but I, I, no, I couldn't do that because I'm inadequate. That's what makes you awesome. Do it. It's great. Dude, I, I love what you just said there. And I love that quote that you just shared perfectly said Seth. Yeah. I mean, as mentors, people think that we know all of this stuff and that we have, have the right thing to say. And I'm going to say it right now. Those are not my words that come a lot. And it is, but that, that's what makes it so cool is, is being a conduit for Heavenly Father. And, you know, not just, we don't know these things as well as people think. We try and God makes up the difference. Yeah, it's it's really cool sometimes to finish um, going through like a Q5 with someone who's just relapsed and to almost be like, hold on, what did I just say? And like, but like the spirit is so palpable and so strong. And you're like, oh my gosh, that wasn't me speaking. That was complete. Just I, I was just a puppet for what that person needed to hear. And that that happens actually when you become a mentor and, and you understand that inadequacy that, that Dallin was talking about, um, it happens a lot because like Seth was just saying, we have these experiences and we have this rudimentary knowledge and we've gone through this training, but beyond that, every single person's story is individual and requires its own special kind of attention. And if you think that we have all the answers for every single person's story, you're nuts. We don't. All we do is just allow ourselves to be a conduit for the information that that person needs at that moment in time. Let's jump into uh, the other meaning of this is what kind of misconceptions do people have about addiction? 
and how can we combat this, uh, these misconceptions? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, Brian. Well, my initial thought is there's a lot of stereotypes, right? Yes. Big stereotypes about uh, those that are struggling with addiction to pornography. Um, almost no matter what part of society you come from, you're uh, yeah, there's the stereotypes and um, there are an unlimited number of men that I've been had the pleasure to be trained by and work with and train. And every single one of them are, are educated, um, accomplished, uh, competent men. And they just have this, this problem that they can't kick. And um, so that's the misconception is that that you're this uh, sleazeball uh, dregs of society if, if you have a, an addiction to pornography. But uh, so that's something that I've seen in, in uh, my life. And I even had that picture in my head early on in my recovery. I felt like I was that person. And then I'd even look at others that way, like. Uh, and I would get confused when I'd see these people that are really successful, but they still struggle with it. So that's something that I think is shifting a little bit um, to uh, at, at least in my sphere in a lot of ways so that uh, we understand that men and women that are, are very, very accomplished, very competent people can struggle with this and do struggle with this. And that's okay. It doesn't make it right. It's not, it's not a good thing, but it's normal and it's okay. And there's a way out of it. Jeff. The thing that I would love to, for, for something to change um, is I love what Luke Gordon has said. I'm sure other people have said this too, but how addiction is the mismanagement of emotions or something to that effect. Yeah. That. And that is so helpful <laughs> just because like what you were just describing, like having this image in your mind, um, like stereotypically versus reality. And that for me, as I've grown in this journey, one of my favorite things to do is to help people understand the concept of a lost battle of just something that you do against your value system. Like I say, I'm going to do this, but I don't follow through with it. And how and trying to figure out why that is. And I I think it'd be just the most amazing, miraculous thing in society if we could kind of blend just the addiction and bad habit stuff, understanding more together. I get that there's some more serious cases that clinical help stuff too, but everyone would benefit if they would open their minds a little bit more and understand that acting against your value system is something to learn and try to grow and become better at following through with your value system. And that as you try to do that, you start to better understand what someone who is dealing with addiction is dealing with as well. So, yeah, it's like good luck finding a person that, that um, loathes and despises the addict more than the addict themselves, because that person looks in the mirror or refuses to look in the mirror and if they do look in the mirror, they hate what they see. They insult themselves constantly. And Satan works really hard to make sure that that person stays in a state of self-loathing and self-hatred, that that person does not see themselves as 
as beautiful or as kind or as hardworking or as a good husband and father or as any of those things that would build them up. Uh, Satan wants you to only see yourself as uh, broken and beat down and a failure. So, yeah, thank you for uh, for pointing those things out. I think those are all amazing points. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna ask a question first, then I'll then I'll get into it because I'm I'm already just like my wheels are turning. But the question is, uh, what is a question or phrase about addiction that you grow tired of hearing? So I'm I'm gonna give mine first, and it's uh it's it's this phrase of once a cheater, always a cheater. And I was watching uh, Steve Harvey uh, on one of his talk show, like in between the scenes, and I, I watched a clip of this, and uh, he was he was talking to a, a panel of women, and they said this phrase and they're like, we just know that it is truth that it, it, you know, any man wants a cheater, always a cheater. And they said, do you believe that? He said, I don't believe that at all. He said, uh, I, I believe that, that men grow up, they mature, they get wise and they change. And to label someone as once a cheater, always a cheater, or once an addict, always an addict, you are basically taking away their option or ability in your mind to become a better person, to evolve, to change. And if you do that, then you have limited your ability to see the potential of that individual. So I, I really don't like this phrase because if you believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ, then you cannot believe in this statement. You cannot believe in any limiting statement that says that a person cannot change. Um, so if that is something that you have felt in your life, I'm so sorry for the trauma that you have been through that has made you feel that way. And what I would encourage you to do is just believe that if you've ever had something in your life that you've had to make changes with or that you've had weaknesses with, then you can believe that other people that have had challenges and weaknesses are able to make those changes and become a better version of themselves as well. That is how the atonement works. It is not to project on others. It is to only work on yourself and believe in that. So that, that, that's my little tidbit there on, uh, on a question or phrase uh, about addiction that I, I've grown tired of hearing. So Jeff, did you have one? Um, this is coming more from the angle of um, other people in recovery. Um, newer people, um, just not understanding that it's going to take everything you've got. And it's not just a porn problem, like to better yes. understand that, like, that it just, it's how you deal with stuff in your life has to change. And that you're not just going to be able to like, I'm going to be good at some point, And I'm just going to move on with the rest of my life. Um, like, I can say that for me, the desire stuff related, like the struggles I've had in addiction pornography stuff has drastically decreased close to not happening sometimes, but it's way, way, way better, easier than before. But the issues that drove me to go to pornography are still there that I'm fighting every day, um, if that makes sense. And so when I at first was focusing just on like sobriety, like um, Dallin had mentioned for him in last episode that he graduated more than once from this program. Um, so for me, like I've graduated like three or four different times because like there's been times when I focused more on just sobriety and not like trying to develop new rituals, develop new habits, address core issues and be serious about that. 
um, instead of just saying like, man, I have sobriety, I'm good. Awesome. Seth. I think one of the things that we get a lot with religion is that it's a faith crisis and that if you just had more faith, you'd be good enough. And it doesn't have to do with faith as much as it has to do with, and you guys have hit on it a couple of times, we talked about it last time as well. It's not knowing how to be able to cope with certain things, not having the tools that you need. And that was one of the big things that I got from group is finding new ways, finding proper ways to deal with these things, finding tools that worked. Um, because when I was fighting on my own, I, I'm putting all, all that I think I can, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. And when we get together with a group, we're able to see how other people are doing, what's helping them. We're able to get feedback and input from others. And there is so much power in coming together being vulnerable and sharing our weaknesses. And so often when you share something that's hard for you, it helps somebody else and helps them to see something that they need to work on. It is not that you don't have enough faith necessarily. So often it is not knowing how to do it and not having the tools. Yeah. Again, that goes back to the whole inadequacy of things that um, you know, we're just inadequate human beings and we're learning as we go. So yeah, thank you for sharing that, Seth. Dallin. I think all of this that we've been talking about blends so perfectly into kind of the next question you, you wanted to talk about tonight, yeah. which is, um, so hopefully it's okay that I'm kind of taking over the show. You usually <laughs> do, man. It's, it's fine. I mean, you've done it in every episode in the past. So just, oh just go. my just, goodness! Just run with it. No, Never one, getting before, asked. Before you do back. that, though, I did want to say I did want to say one quick thing. Uh, yeah. Those tools and everything that Seth talked about about how to know what to do. All this comes from getting yourself into something like a program, um, because that that's where you learn. Or starting to converse with people and being open and vulnerable about these things. And honestly, this entire second season of this podcast has been all about tools. And so if you're wondering what those tools are and you haven't listened to those other episodes, start going through them. I mean, notice it, name it, flip it, find it, setting boundaries, doing border patrols, doing flagpoles, all these things. If, if you're hearing these for the first time, go back and listen to the episodes because that's what, that's what we've broken down. So that, that's my little plug for listening to the rest of this season because that is how you gain the experience. It's by learning about the tools and putting them into practice and failing over and over and over again, but failing forward. So, uh, all right, Dallin, do what you were going to do. Take over. Love you. Love you too. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I don't remember who said it, but one of you said the, the wise phrase of this isn't a porn problem, right? I think it was Jeff. Yeah. It's, it's a self-mastery problem, right? Everyone deals with self-mastery issues. And so as we deepen in our recovery, we realize, oh crap, I'm not just addicted to porn. I'm addicted to social media. I'm addicted to video games. I'm addicted to TV. Um, I'm addicted to dopamine, basically. That's what it boils down to. Preach it. Preach it.
Yeah. Um, and, and that goes hand in hand with this other misconception that I'm sure you guys have heard a lot. And I get it a lot from the young guys um, that are like, I just want to go through this program and be done with this. I want to get it right behind me and I'll be good for the rest of my life and I never have to deal with it. And Cameron wanted to talk tonight about um, whether or not temptation or compulsive nature to, to relapse ever goes away, right? whether or not it follows you for the rest of your life. And in my opinion, the truth is, is no, right? Self-mastery is a battle we will fight until we die for two reasons. One, because the natural man and we just, you know, we like to cope with things the easiest way possible. And two, we have an enemy set on our destruction that he is never going to truly leave us alone, right? He wants us to suffer and he wants us to be yoked in addiction. He doesn't care if it's porn or if it's video games or if it's TV or if it's social media or if it's meth. He does not care. He just wants us miserable. And so it, one, he's never going to stop. So we can't ever stop either, but it, it, it manifests in different ways and in different people's life. And so the fight we fight is not a fight specifically against lust or specifically against pornography. It's a fight against self-mastery and living your values every single day. Well said. Very well said. Seth. I think as uh, we talk about, you know, the chemical levels and about our emotional levels, the more and better that we learn to deal with and keep our emotions at a lower level, the less those temptations um, affect us. And so that is our constant battle is to keep our levels low, keep those things from overwhelming us, keeping from going to places of shame, uh, places of comparison, places of one up, one down thinking, you know, all of these different things that put us in a compromised state to our values. And so when we keep those from overwhelming us, we don't deal with this as uh, these temptations as much because we're in that good place. I love that. Um, so I, I just, I got to point out, I know you guys can't see what's going on, but I get a, I get a look at all these, these guys, you should see like the heads nodding when someone is giving like really good advice. And while Seth was sitting there talking Dallin was like pointing at the screen was like, yes. And everyone's heads were bobbing up and down. So if, if you didn't catch that, rewind two minutes and just listen to what he said again, because that was money. That was absolutely correct. Brian, what's up? I was, I've been horrible and I'm still developing the ability to uh, recognize and address my emotions. When I, I spent the last 15 years uh, avoiding them thinking that's what I was supposed to do. Cause I'm a man. Um, I, I shouldn't have to deal with them. Like I, I toxic masculinity uh, alert. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> So I, I realized after learning these principles that I was living at a four and a five, like for years. And when you're living in such high elevated uh, emotional wreckage, no amount of scripture reading or praying or serving or going to the temple or um doing whatever like uh, things that usually bring you joy none of that will get you where you want you'll 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 just keep on failing and then it makes you feel worse because i was just i should have these great experiences helping me out but i'm still failing 
I, I don't understand what's going on. You got leaders in your church telling you to do, well, you just need to do this more. You just need to do that more. And it never worked. So being able to address the this not porn problem, it's, it's a um, self-mastery problem where we can uh, recognize, put those alarm bells, those alarms and set them early on in our compromise before we become compromised emotionally. Then of reaching out to somebody, pulling out your scriptures and reading them, uh, praying to the Heavenly Father, uh, doing those things that, that bring you joy can reset you to a state of peace and, and being able to serve others, being motivated. And that's all that, that having the, the spirit with us, um, that's all that uh, we're battling is, is keeping those uh, emotions, recognizing them, addressing them. And something I learned from you, Cameron, early on in our uh, time together in our group, I don't remember if you, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but you said even negative emotions have a positive purpose. They tell us that something's wrong. It's just like pain. When we get bit by something, our body transmits pain uh, sensory we get pain hey something's wrong these emotions are not a, a bad thing in itself how we deal with them or don't deal with them is the bad thing yeah absolutely seth um i just really want to play off or go off of something brian was talking about yeah you know that we have all these things in the churches of, you know, read your scriptures, pray, you know, everything will be better. The problem is, is when we're in those states where we're constantly looking for escape or we're completely overwhelmed, those one things don't do anything. And then you sit there and feel like nothing is ever going to work. I'm always going to be overwhelmed. There's nothing I can do. And one of the things that I learned from this program is that when we're in those higher levels, once we've hit that shame level, um, from there, it's going to take two or three things done with intention to get down. And that, you know, it's not just one thing. It's going to take multiple things. And being prepared and ready to do those multiple things when we're at that state. Because just one thing gets thrown back at us of, oh, see, doesn't work for you. You must not be good enough. Thank you. Dallin. And then we'll, then we'll move on to the next question. Awesome. I love this theme of recovery isn't about eliminating temptation from our lives. Recovery is about dealing with um, underlying emotional pain so that, like Seth said, temptation doesn't affect us the way that it used to, right? Yeah. Jesus Christ, we have several um, instances in the in the scriptures of Jesus Christ being tempted. Temptation is, to, to be a recipient of temptation is not a sin. It's simply part of our mortal existence. Yep. And recovery isn't about removing that temptation from your life. It's about dealing with it. It's about fighting it. It's about overcoming it. And to me, that's such a hopeful thought. It's such a hopeful um, concept that it's, it's, I don't need to feel shame that I am tempted every once in a while. Um, it's just a, it's an opportunity for me to connect with my, my source of strength, my heavenly father, Jesus Christ and my family and my fellow brothers in arms. Dude, that, that was, uh, 
that was a small question that had a lot of uh, meat behind it. I guess that was, that was awesome guys. All right. Uh, two more questions here. Um, so as mentors, we, we get to, as we've talked about, especially in uh, at the beginning of the last episode, we talk a lot about how we become kind of emotionally invested in these people's stories. We, we get to be part of their dialogue, part of their journey. And one of the hardest things for me for a really long time was when I would either see a person drop out of the program or that they were constantly relapsing despite all the hard work that we were doing, or that they just didn't care that it was kind of like, kind of like a moody teenager that was just like, dude, I really don't care. Like, and you wanted to kind of just scream and be like, well, then why are you here? Like, if you don't care, come back when you're ready. Um, so the, the question here is, uh, how do you find the right balance of emotional attachment to a mentee that you don't become compromised by their relapses or lack of communication or effort or caring or anything like that? How do you get to a place where you can be enough emotionally invested that you feel connected to them and you're able to help them. And at the same time, if they spiral or if they drop out of the program, or if they have a really bad relapse, like go full pell-mell into adultery and just fall off the deep end and their marriage falls apart, that you don't, you don't feel any sort of personal failure toward them in that. Jeff. The first thing that I would say is earlier this week, I got a text from one of the guys that I work with who said, I'm looking at dropping out of the program. And then we met up this week and we talked about it. And after that, I had to call one of the other personal warrior trainers and reach out to someone on my team to try to process this. <laughs> so um, I am working on that, just like all the other emotional stuff. As I was talking about it, I realized I have a lot of issues still. Weird. Um, so <laughs> I don't know the full answer to that because I really, I care. I want to be helpful, but it was so many different like other emotional issues that I have that was being projected and screwing stuff up too, like how I was processing it and hearing it. That like, he's not rejecting me you know, and that's something that I feel most of the time um, in something like this. And so talking to someone else about it and then remembering, oh yeah, it's not rejecting me. That is important. While you're asking the question, the other thing that hit me that I want to do better, which I didn't remember about this whole process until right now, while you were asking the question, is that God knows them and he's there to help them. And I'm just a steward for a season. And if I, as I grow in my trust of God, that he can work with people, because really the thing that I was sharing in the last episode about being part of other people's journey and their story, I know that I didn't do much. <laughs> I was, I just was witnessing their story <laughs> and that there's really them and God making the heavy lifting. And so if I can remember one thing, I'm telling myself this, hopefully I can remember more that God can help them no matter where they are and yep. whether I'm involved or not is, I just need to accept that. <laughs> well, and, and this, this also goes so well with not just for mentors, but for any family member or anyone affected by someone's addiction, that if they are relapsing, if they are still having struggles, it is not your fault 
and you can still care about that person and you can still seek to support that person. However, you should not be taking the weight of their burdens on yourself. That's Christ's job. And he has already taken that burden and that weight. And so I love what you said there, Jeff, that we really just, we can be invested in the moment and we, we can be a, a character in that chapter of their life, but we are not the principal protagonist in their entire story that shows up on every single page. That is not our role. We are, we are there to show up for a season, like you said. And, and then after that, to just understand, you know what, if their journey comes back around and I show up in another chapter, great. Otherwise, they're still the principal character and God's still the one that is watching the story unfold and is constantly monitoring everything that's going on. So I, I love that you put it that way. All right. Any other, uh, any other thoughts on this or should we go to the very last question and, and finish this thing off? I think Jeff nailed it. Yep. I think he did too. That was, that was fantastically said. Okay. So final question here, guys. Um, and, and this is gonna, we're gonna get a, a quick little one to two minute thing from each person here. What advice would you give to those seeking or needing some form of recovery in their life? This isn't about someone maybe wanting to be a mentor, but anyone that's needing any form of recovery or needing to make a significant change in their life, what advice would you give them? Who's up first? All right, Brian. I'll, uh, I'll take the first shot and then everybody else will do way better than me. So <laughs> I don't, I, the, the first thing that I, I've told people is uh, become part of a team. Just find something that will connect you with other people no matter how scared you are, uh, how uncomfortable, how much shame. I, I sat in the parking lot for three straight weeks and then would drive away before I went to my first addiction recovery program because of the shame that I felt. So I know what they're feeling, but I would, I just recommend that uh, it doesn't even have to be our program. Just start somewhere, find some tools. There's lots of them out there. Start putting them in your tool bag and work on your recovery um you're you're not alone Dude, chills i i i don't know why you put yourself down at the beginning of that that was some spike nonsense right there and we're just gonna cut that crap out because that was beautifully said absolutely find your team you are not alone well said brian seth yeah i was uh thinking along the same lines but you know that you don't have to do it alone and that there are other tools and things out there but to actually use the tools, um, one of the, the podcasts I listen to, you know, talks about it's more than just knowing and understanding things. We have to use them and let them affect our story. Let them change us. All of this is about becoming, not just knowing it. And so we need to use those tools to change our lives not just be intellectual and intellectualize everything. And that comes through having a team, playing off each other, sharing, and seeing how those affect each other. Thank you, Seth. That's fantastic. Jeff? I was going to say the exact same thing, team. Um, and so just this last week or two, I've just been maybe a little bit longer, um, but I've been really pounding different audiobooks on self-mastery and habit, like the one specifically I've been listening today and yesterday I started listening to The Power of Habit 
I just finished the book Grit. I just finished the book Outliers, just like recently. And all of them were hitting the exact same thing. And the funniest thing to me, I asked my wife this, I was like, why is it that these books, they're talking about all these different like tools and like things you can do to change and everything. And then as like an aside towards the end, they say, oh yeah, a shortcut to really applying this stuff is to find a team to work with that's already doing it. I'm like, that should be like the whole book. Like, like it was describing like this one researcher person um, went to check out some people that were waking up at four in the morning and swimming, preparing to be Olympians. Like that was their dream, like Olympian type stuff for swimming and thought that they were going to find some crazy weird people. And what they found out was everyone that they knew woke up at that time and went swimming. Their culture was just doing that. And so again, joining, like if you want to change something, find a group to join that you can work with accountability, teamwork, whatever. And it starts like seeping off of them onto you. There's different things about like you become the people who you hang out with, whatever. There's lots of different stuff. You may have heard those things and it's true. Do it. It's, it's possible to do this on your own, but if you actually want to grow faster, find people to work with. Cheat code. (laughs) The cheat code is finding a team. Um, Seth, you had a, another quick little point you wanted to make before Dallin jumps in. Yeah. I just wanted to say, um, real quick that, uh, you know, give it time because so often that first meeting you sit there and go, oh my gosh, this isn't for me. I don't understand what they're talking about. You know, in AA and some of these other groups, they talk about hitting five, six meetings in a week. Um, give it time because it, takes a little bit, but by, you know, five, six meetings, all of a sudden you're going, oh my gosh, I get it now. These are my people. And don't just throw it away at the first, you know, my first time I went, oh my gosh, these guys aren't taking it seriously. You know, that type of thing. Um, And I'm so glad I stayed because some of those guys who I felt like weren't taking it seriously pushed me the hardest and called me on all of my crap and just but they did it lovingly and they did it in a fun, in a friendly way, but that's just how they are. And if I'd have given that up because I didn't feel comfortable, I don't know where I'd be. Love that. Yeah. Showing up and uh, also showing up when you, when you have someone reporting numbers of like a thousand plus days, you can just, you feel like, hold on, there's no way, there's no way I'll, I'll, I'll ever be there. Um, and then, yeah, to see, to see so many people smiling and laughing and full of joy in a recovery meeting is something you're like, this isn't, no, I'm at the wrong place. And then to realize, like, like you said, a few weeks later, like, oh my gosh, th- this is what it's all about. This is my people. This is, this is what I needed all along to realize that there can be joy in a life of recovery. Dallin. Yeah, mine's a continuation of Seth's, and I'm, I'm going to quote high fantasy rather than self-help books because I'm not as wise as Jeff but uh what is the most important step a man can take it's not the first one it's the next one so um if Seth had quit after that first step you know to jump into recovery and he was uncomfortable and it didn't go as he planned and he was unsuccessful then where would he be today it's the most important step is the next one so if you're still struggling if you're still hurting 
just take the next step and don't ever stop taking the next step and eventually you'll make it. Eventually you'll learn to love the journey and it will be awesome. I, I love that. Thank you. So if I were to give advice to anyone who is needing to make changes or, or overcome some sort of compulsion or addiction in their life, the biggest thing that I would tell them is to never give up on yourself. I think if you can maintain a belief in your ability to change, then there is no outside force that can deviate you from that path. Um, even if, uh, I, I think it was Dallin, you, you read that quote about walking along the path drunkenly. Um, even if you are really cutting close to the edge of that path at times, and you are zigzagging hard and hardly making any forward progress, as long as you believe that you can still follow that path, and as long as you believe that God still cares about you and that it is still a possibility, then you, I promise you, if you don't give up on yourself, you are going to be able to make it. You are going to be able to succeed. Just do not quit. And the only way that you can fail is to quit. It doesn't matter how many relapses you have. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. It doesn't matter how hard the road gets for you. The only way you will possibly fail in this journey of recovery is if you quit. So just don't quit on yourself. And, and I can't help but echo what everyone else said as well. You are not alone. There is a team out there for you. Just go looking for it. Be brave to be vulnerable and to share your story. Guys, thank you so much for all of your wisdom. Thank you so much for... The, the stories and man, I just, I'm, I'm thrilled about how this turned out. It's so awesome to be sitting in a Zoom room with so much power and so many amazing men. I, I can't thank you enough. And thank you for capping off this season with awesomeness. So we're going to end it there. We will see you guys after the summer. And I, I'm looking forward to the stories that are going to be shared and the progress that we get to make next season. So thanks again, everyone. Seth, Brian, Dallin, Jeff. I'm actually going to do something uh, different here. Um, when, when we finish a meeting, and may, I, this is something that, that we always do, but we make a pledge to one another. And I, I want people to hear this pledge and understand the uh, the power of it when we leave a meeting and it's it really emphasizes and locks in that concept of team that every single one of you guys hit on and what it says as i just said your names seth brian Dallin, and jeff i promise to be of service to you and i will allow you to be of service to me until both you and i successfully defeat the demon that assails us i have been given the tools to win and i will win Gentlemen, we are winners, we are champions, and we are warriors. And Satan should be afraid of who we are becoming and the lives that we are changing. And I love each and every one of you and your stories. So thank you for bringing that spirit to these meetings. See you guys next season.